This is Event Masters. Behind the scenes stories, experiences, and lessons shared by the world's leading event experts. Hosted by Christian Napier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Event Masters. I'm Christian Napier. And in this episode, I am delighted to be joined by a colleague who we go way back in time, back to our days in Rio de Janeiro, Tiago Pais. Uh, Tiago, how are you? Hi, Christian. Hello, everyone. It's a great pleasure to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you uh, join our podcast today. And I, I have to ask before we get into all of the storytelling and everything, where are you exactly joining us from? Uh, from Zurich, from FIFA headquarters. All right, so you work for FIFA now. Yes, uh, I've been here for the last eight years. And if we count the time I was in Brazil working for the World Cup, not with FIFA, but with the local organizing committee, then we can count already let's say, 13 years. So 13 years working directly with the World Cup, eight here uh, in Switzerland. Holy smokes, I can't believe it's been that long. I mean, you've, you know, if I look at your bio, you've been involved in this uh, business, this event industry for a long time, more than 20 years. And you mentioned being involved in the local organizing committee in Brazil 2014, the FIFA World Cup of 2014. And you had the responsibility in the last three World Cups for the planning and operations of all the stadiums involved in the World Cup. So that was Brazil, Russia 2018, Qatar 2022. And you're currently working on this for the 2026 World Cup that's uh, going to be held here in North America. You've got a background in sport and uh, business management, formal education. There. Well, it's also an amateur athlete. I did not know that about you, Tiago. So I'm curious to hear that story. Uh, you manage large teams all around the world with uh, many different backgrounds and and uh, really have a heavy focus on leadership and communication and planning and uh, executing local and global projects. In all, you've worked in more than 60 events, including numerous FIFA events, Olympic Winter Games, uh, FIVB Volleyball World League, World Judo. Uh, I mentioned already the Pan American and Para Pan American Games. And the Rio 2016 Olympic bid, uh, where we worked on uh, together, and you've uh, uh, done just so much around the globe. So it's an honor to have someone of your stature uh, join our humble podcast today, Tiago. Thank you so much for being here. Wow, sounds like great. <laughs> when we, we go through those things, we don't notice, right? We're just doing the job and things are lining up one after the other. We take the opportunities. but when we look back and said, well, maybe we did something correct. <laughs> well, I'm curious to know. I mean, you, you said this journey started uh, for you, uh, you know, decades ago. So, so why don't you kind of give us the backdrop of how you actually got involved in this crazy event, major event sport industry in the first place? Yeah, I think back to my, my years in high school, and my entire life, actually, I always loved sports. Watching sports on TV, all sorts of sports. Um, football, American football, tennis, uh, Formula One. 
whatever, we can name all of them. So I grew up knowing that I would like to work with sports. Not exactly, was not so sure about what I would like to do, but within sports. Uh, and then I got to the university in Sao Paulo, and one day having um, events classes, there was one person who came to talk about sports events, uh, one of the lectures. Uh, and I simply got interested about the topic, I sent him a message, um, I think he was not so interested in replying just to one of the students, he gave the message to his assistant, and then he replied to me, not really answering the questions, but said, oh, we are organizing an event um, in Sao Paulo, a beach soccer event. Uh, if you want to come, yeah, feel free. So then it started. I went there, I worked as volunteer, um, and the next week they had another event, so they invited us to come, we pay you now this time, and that started. And this person who gave me the lecture was Ricardo Trage, Baca. So that was 20 years ago, more, 20, 23 years ago now. Uh, and coincidence or not, we more or less keep working uh, together somehow, either directly or indirectly. He's now working in Copa America, so we keep uh, constant contact. Wow, what a great story. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Sao Paulo, and uh, you also mentioned uh, being a fan of American football. I think it's interesting that uh, you know the word that we're hearing around here now is that uh, there may be uh, a National Football League game played in Sao Paulo uh, next year or the year following. So uh, I think it'd be super fun to see uh, uh, a game played in Brazil. So anyway... I just think that's really, really cool. Okay. I, think I ask really you to share, me, share with me some uh, key lessons that you've learned in your over 20 years working in this industry. And so I want to go through some of those key lessons and the stories behind those key lessons. And the, the first one that you sent through to me uh, was always have a backup plan and a backup power generator. So... Uh, I'm curious about the lesson that you learned here and the story behind it. Yeah. Uh, on the first event, uh, and that came from the former president of the Brazilian Olympic Committee, Carlos Nuzman. He was always saying, we need to have backup plans. Uh, if it's rain and this and that, uh, we cannot run out of power, broadcast. And so maybe it's a bit exaggerated. But that was the rule, right? Uh, and then, many years after, um, I was working in the LOC in preparation for the World Cup 2014. Uh, and we were in charge of organizing a Brazil national team uh, friendly game. And it was uh, not on a friendly game, but was the farewell game of Ronaldo Phenomenon. Uh, and the match was uh, in Sao Paulo, Paquembu Stadium. So we were trying, it's a stadium from the 1940s, right? Uh, it's a beautiful stadium, but uh, with a lot of challenges to, to bring 
uh, kind of World Cup test event. Uh, and one of the points uh, discussing uh, with the stadium, with the city, was okay, we need backup generator. Ah, no, 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 we don't need. So, uh, but why not? No, we have been doing events here for the last 50, 60 years, and it only happened once, so we don't need. So, no, we need. We, this is a, a big event, it's a World Cup test. Um, we need to do things as close as possible. It's Ronaldo last match. So it, this discussion took a while. Uh, and in the end, yes, uh, the generator was was installed. And then what happened on the match day? It was June, July. So it's winter in Brazil. It's not the rainy season. But it happened that on that, that day, the big star came and the city was out of light and the traffic was crazy and some trees uh, on the ground but the light was there so there was no delay on kickoff there was no hiccups on broadcast nor anything uh, yes it was difficult for the public to to arrive but I mean, the event was ready to take place so i was glad that that lesson back uh, that i heard from uh, Carlos Nuzman really uh, really happened. I mean, you cannot just go for a big event like the division uh, with a backup plan. All right. So coming back to your lessons learned, you know, the the lesson of the backup plan and the power generator, you know, taking care of these contingencies, making sure that every detail is planned. Uh, you've got another lesson learned uh, of focusing on rehearsing every single detail. Why don't you tell us the story behind that lesson? Uh, yeah, that was a word ceremony. Um, we were two, two days um, prior to, to the final game, and there were several elements on that specific awards. So we had all the, the hostesses who would uh, bring the medals, the trays, we even had a fake trophy, we had the announcer, uh, but we didn't have uh, on the rehearsal the responsible for a few other elements. No, 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 it's fine, it's a great company, they are used to it, there is no need, we can do the walkways, we can do the announcement, but the surprise elements which were some uh, fireworks coming from from the pitch not from the roof of the stadium but from from behind um, we can we know how to do it no problem so okay um we we had the rehearsal everything was fine so it was match day everybody got in place got their headsets position lists of um who would receive the prizes, the, the striker, the best player, the second best player, everything set in place. So the match was over, everybody got in, and the stage, the crew, they put everything. And when we stepped on the pitch, the radio stopped, stopped working. So the coverage of the radio was not reaching the midfield. It was really close to the tunnel. And we did the rehearsal close to the tunnel, not to damage the pitch. So we didn't know 
that the coverage was not going further. So that was the first thing. Okay, nothing to do. We communicate visual, we do signs, everybody rehearsed, so everybody knows what to do. And then it started. Uh, and suddenly, uh, so one trophy was delivered, the second trophy, and then the player, I, I was responsible for lining up the players. So the third best, the second best, and the first best. And then, and I put them in order. But suddenly one player came, I, I think I got the wrong trophy. You told me I was the, the second best and I got the first. I said, oh my God. But then I couldn't communicate with people on the stage. So somehow they exchanged because of lack of communication. They gave the wrong trophy to the wrong person. So then, then the whole thing started. Okay, the show must go on. The TV, TV put the right um, uh, letters on, on the screen. And then there was one more uh, award. I don't remember, I think for the striker or someone. And the guy raised the trophy. And then someone pressed the button for the paper, which was supposed to be only at the end, not in the middle. And then we saw those paper coming everywhere. So, my God, what happened? This was the guy who was not in the rehearsal. And, uh, oh, my God, it was, so we continue. So the the second, the runner-up got their medal. Then the winner got the trophy, but then there was no paper anymore. And then came the fireworks. And, and the fireworks worked, but was not ideal because we haven't seen we only saw uh, computer simulations so that was probably the, my my worst day uh, on an event where almost everything went wrong everybody survived nobody got injured but it was a was a disaster oh my goodness so eventually though the athletes got their correct medals and everything and that was all yeah. sorted out but the presentation itself was a bit of a the challenge it sounds like yeah. the good thing is that many people on tv they did not notice the general public let's say only those who are really looking into that and they know the procedures what happened right but the general public they they couldn't catch the the mistakes but we were like destroyed afterwards oh my god <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> yeah you're right that the public doesn't see that but i'm curious from your perspective you know working in this industry, is it, and this is a little bit off topic, but is it a bit challenging for you sometimes to go to an event? Sometimes I find myself going to an event and I am just naturally seeing things that are happening back of house or, you know, I'm thinking, well, they shouldn't have put the barricades up like this, or maybe they should have cued people this way or that way. And it actually, at times, impacts my ability to really enjoy those events to the fullest because I'm just seeing all these things that I think, oh, they could have done this or they should have done that. Uh, do, do you ever have that kind of experience having worked in this business for so long? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I'm watching, doesn't matter which sport, I'm more watching the surroundings, the advertising boards, the setup of security and thing benches and the lights, everything. Then I said, no, no, forget it. I'm not working, so it doesn't matter. It's someone else's problem. Let me focus on, on the game and enjoy. But it's an exercise. You're right. 
<laughs> I just remember the other day I was watching an American football game on television and uh, uh, the team scored the winning touchdown. And instead of noticing the celebration of the players, I was noticing the security person turning around and celebrating with the players and thinking, this person's supposed to have their backs to the show. Why is this person turning around and celebrating with players? You know, it was just that kind of thing. And you know how it is. You just kind of see these funny things. Um, all right. So I want to, you, you mentioned Baca before. Uh, you've worked with him for a long time. We've had Baca on our show and uh, he shared some amazing stories. And I really enjoyed uh, what he shared and more importantly, enjoyed working with him. Uh, and you have a, a an important lesson learned, which is to treat everybody well. And you reference him uh, specifically. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the story behind this lesson? Yeah, it, maybe it's not really coming only from Baca, but something that I learned in my, in my life from my parents, family. Right, you should, ever, in respective of anything, uh, treat people well. I think that's the basic. But bringing to the context of an event, Baca always said, treat the lowest-ranked people very well. The person cleaning uh, the toilets, the security guard, or the person uh, setting up the temporary structure, because those are the people who will help you when you need something. It's not the director who is in the air conditioning, sitting on the suite, eating and drinking. He will not solve any problem during the event. But while something is happening and you need to be quick, it's that guy that in the first day of the event, you just said, good morning, how are you? Uh, is the one who, who will save the event in the end. And that's totally true. When you get to a stadium and you see the maintenance guy or the the person who puts the net in the goal, uh, those are the most important ones. So once you talk to them, same level, they, they feel really appreciated and they will do everything to deliver the best. And really they are event saviors. It's not the directors at all. You know, something, I think that's a fantastic point. And something I would add to that is, and I'm curious to, to hear your own experience uh, about this. Uh, it's not only the relationships with the, you know, no job is too small kind of thing, but, but you have the ability to work with many of the same people across many different events. And, uh, you know, if you treat them well and with respect, then that increases your own chances to, to uh, continue in this business because this business can be difficult. Yeah. And in and, and talking with a lot of people, it seems to me that the relationships that we have are perhaps the most important thing uh, that we can nurture because at the end of the day, this business is run by people, right? And if you can find ways to work together, that's fantastic. And you mentioned that, uh, I mean, you and Baca go back a long ways and you just kind of are within each other's orbits, you know, uh, doing this work and it's great to have the, uh, so I'm curious if you can just, you know, talk about that a little bit, not just the relationships with the, you know, as Baca rightly pointed out, the, 
the the lowest people, but also the relationships of people who work in this industry uh, as a profession, and they uh, and are going on from event to event across the world. No, you are absolutely right, one hundred percent. The industry is not that big. So people who you work here one day, in the next day, they might be your boss and vice versa. So if you don't have this um, this network or if you don't treat everyone right, then you're going to be pushed away. It's it's the nature of, of the business, right? So when we have colleagues in which one day uh, and I was pretty lucky, I have to say, when I, I mentioned that beach soccer event, I worked with Baca, but it was not only him, it was people who then later became director of big companies like Nike or the International Volleyball Federation, and we worked together or somehow related on a number of events. So this, this network facilitates everything, and I barely had one work interview, to be honest. Things were happen happening, connecting one after the other because you have this network and, of course, the, the quality of your work. If you don't, if there is no quality, there's no network which will help anyone. Right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to be able to deliver. And if you cannot deliver, then... Mm -hmm. uh, people lose their trust in you. And if they lose trust, then they're not going to invite you to come along the journey with them uh, as, you know, the events roll on. So uh, that's a fantastic lesson. Okay, this one is, you know, every every other lesson that you've listed out that you sent to me ahead of time, you're like, okay, I understand what that is. But this one is completely cryptic it sounds so random so the lesson that you wrote was rice and beans <laughs> and then in brackets bread and butter so <laughs> what is the lesson what is the lesson of rice and beans bread and butter what's the story behind that so as you lived in brazil you know what rice and beans means uh to to brazilians the basic meal which provides you energy for every day for working. So no matter what, that's the basic. So if the basic is well done, we are good. So on top of rice and beans, you can put meat, you can put fish, you can put salad, fries, but that's the base, right? And the bread and butter is just a uh, translation to English of the what uh, rice and beans means to us. Um, and I was working uh, at the Volleyball Federation in Brazil which it is um, a top sport in the country, right? So when the number of events and the quality of events is very high and was very high back then in 2007, 2008, with a lot of innovations, entertainment. Uh, and this continues now if you watch any of these um, World League matches, um, volleyball world championships, you see very high, high quality. Uh, maybe because some people who were back there in the, the, the Brazilian Federation are now uh, in the International Federation, uh, very competent people. Uh, and once we were having a meeting discussing innovations, and then people started getting crazy with ideas and this and that. 
and then um, when one person said, hey, let's step back. Let's do the basic. The, a good event needs to have the basic uh, well done. And the example was the VIP area. Um, the carpet needs to be well installed, needs to be clean. Uh, the flowers need to be fresh. So we don't need to be fancy or complicated. Things need to be clean, well installed. Uh, the waiters need to have their uniforms clean and, and looking good. Um, and we need to have food and drinks, period. Don't, we don't need to complicate. Do the basics well done and then the, the event will have quality. Um, and I always thought about that and always trying try to do. And I see nowadays in the biggest scale, people are having amazing ideas. It's like trying to, to build a house starting from the window and not from the foundations. So, hey, come on, let's step back. What do we have to do? The World Cup is great. It's a fantastic and complex project. However, still we are still organizing football matches and football matches happen all around the world every single day it's not that complicated we need to bring the players we need to bring the refs uh, we need to have tv so one by one we can do if the basics well done then the rest of the event will be a success but let's not try to think or overthink too much uh, things which could be simple it's better to have it simple and clean rather than too complicated, too fancy, and not working. So that's the rice and beans. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I totally agree. You have to get the basics right. And it doesn't matter how many really cool things you do. If you don't have those basics right, then uh, people will be frustrated. You know, like you say, if the if the transport is not working or if food and beverage is not working, and you don't have those uh you don't have those basic things settled then a lot of that other stuff doesn't matter uh, exactly. now that being said as you said keeping it simple uh, another lesson that you've got learned here is don't save budget on dressing and signage so uh what's the lesson there yeah no i think Cutting budget is natural on any event. We start with everything and then start getting to the reality and cutting, cutting, cutting. Um, and normally dressing and signage is one of the favorites that people like to cut. Uh, but no, this thing, ha it has the power of transforming a very simple event into something nice. If you're organizing just a I don't know, a street, street run. And if you have beautiful portals, some flags, that looks like a great event. But if you do a fantastic um, whatever sport event without a beautiful dressing, you can have everything working. You can have perfect broadcast. You can have perfect pitch. You can have everything. But with no signage, it will look poor. So it has the power to transform a fantastic event into a not nice event and has the power to transform a very simple event onto a very nice one 
because it simply can cover things, ugly things that people cannot see and looks beautiful. So and it's important also to to impress uh, with that. So I would say cut everywhere you can, leave dress, dress and signage for later because it has a big impact on the uh, feeling of people going to, to an event. I think it's a great lesson. And, and uh, uh, in addition to the aesthetic uh, reasons to maintain that, I mean, there are a lot of practical reasons as well. I mean, sometimes when people start cutting back on the signage and things, then people get lost and they don't know where they're supposed to be going and they get confused because the signage is not working. And I, and I remember, you know, working on events and you I'm sure you do as well, where, uh, because of a lack of signage, what happens? People just start putting up their own signage. Right. And so you mm -hmm. have. Sure. You have paper plates and you have <laughs> other things, you know, sheets of paper or, or a board, you know, stuck up to say with an arrow saying, go that way. Right. And it just diminishes. Um, not only does it diminish the look of the event, but it also it's it's. It's an example that people take to say, well, the people who are planning this event maybe weren't taking it seriously, because if they were taking it seriously, mm -hmm then this kind of stuff wouldn't be happening, right? And and that's an unfortunate uh, assumption that, that spectators make, you know, uh, not really appreciating all of the effort that goes into planning these events because they have no idea. You know, they don't know that you've been planning this thing for years and years and years and you've been thinking about every little detail and you've sat in countless meetings defending this budget and so on and so forth. So, okay. yeah. uh uh, fantastic, fantastic lesson. Thank you for sharing that. Tiago, uh, you've got some other stories that I know you want to share. Uh, one involving one of the most famous uh, footballers of all time, uh, Maradona. So uh, I'm curious if you can share that particular story with us. That was good. Uh, it was one of the FIFA Ballon d'Or events when all the best players come to receive uh, the trophy and in that specific year, I, I don't remember, I think it was 2016 or 17, uh, it was in Zurich. So all legends came to the headquarter. There's a beautiful football pitch there uh, to play. And only stars, you can name it, Maldini, uh, Batistuta, uh, all those caliber of, of players uh, and let's say the chief, the president was Maradona who at the time with problems on his knees he couldn't barely walk it was kind of sad to say to see how difficult it was for him to just to move from way to be very slow uh, always super nice person super happy but difficult to see uh unfortunately that day we couldn't play we could just watch but was was good enough only a player uh, uh sorry a goalkeeper from our team was invited to play they were all expecting to be called but just the goalkeeper but anyway uh so the the, the game started and everybody very respectful passing the boss the ball to maradona but if it was like 50 centimeters away from his foot he couldn't move to control the ball. So after maybe five minutes, he 
hasn't touched the ball at all. There was a corner for his team. And he walked to take the corner and make the cross to the box. Instead of crossing, he poof, straight to the goal. No chance for the goalkeeper. Olympic goal, first touching the ball, straight from the corner, 1-0. All the players, both teams came to high-five to him. It was really impressive how um yeah on that physical condition he could touch the ball in such perfect way in and yeah it was a goal all the players were like wow and we which were, who were watching were also amazed oh he is really different there is something else that was beautiful to see <laughs> that's an amazing story I have to ask, where were you at when this took place? Uh, it was in Zurich and the FIFA headquarters. So on our training pitch where we play every week, uh, the stars were playing there. So it was, it was good to see. So you got to see that in person. It wasn't like you were watching that on television. You were no, actually there no. physically present. Yeah. No, nobody told me I was there uh witnessing the the moment wow what an incredible moment to to witness uh and speaking of witnessing you've got another interesting story here about people uh looking you know some important people looking on your phone <laughs> yeah the the only thing that i i say regret of that story uh, there is no photos of it I even searched on, on the archive because we have lots of photographers all the time around to see, but no photos. Uh, but it was the World Cup final now in Qatar, so basically one year ago. Um, and I was one of, of the person working. My, my duty was actually to... Uh, similar to the other one which was a disaster to put the players to the stage the right players in the right moment so i got the list of the best goalkeeper uh, the best young player then the best player second best so those were messi mbappe uh, the striker so i got everything so i was talking to the players and putting them in order ready to start the show and everybody getting their confirmation on the radio ah the stage is ready the medals are ready uh, i said oh, the players are ready this is ready the sound but there was one and probably the most important one silent which was the trophy where's the trophy where's the trophy and then um my my boss who was not on the radio, but he was on the side of the pitch. What's going on? What's going on? I said, the trophy is not there. So, so I, then I said to myself, you know what? I go to the tunnel to see what's going on. Uh, and when I got to the tunnel, uh, my protocol colleague who works with uh, FIFA president uh, asked me, ah, do you know who who are going to which players are going to receive the individual awards like, yes of course i know that's what i'm doing right <laughs> uh, and, and i had the list on my phone uh, 
so I showed it to the president. So I was putting my, my WhatsApp and showing him, okay, this is the best player, this is the best young player, this is that. And then when I look it up, it was not only the FIFA president, but was uh, Macron, the president of France, and the Emir of Qatar. So it was me and the three of them surrounding, looking to my mobile, and I, I said, what's going on? Those people who we never get close to, right? It's always full of security, but that was at the time the most secure place in the country. Uh, and I was in the middle, they were looking to my mobile, I said, oh, what? Let me go back to my to my role and put the players in. And then the and actually what happened with the trophy, it got locked in the door because security of the Emir of Qatar blocked everything for him to walk. But they blocked before the trophy entered. So it took a few minutes to solve and open that door to let the trophy in. And then it started with the ceremony. <laughs> what an incredible story. Uh... <laughs> You've got uh, uh, three of the most powerful people on earth looking at your phone. <laughs> yeah, that was it, but I don't have a photo. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, good thing you, you 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 had your phone ready and they were looking at that and you didn't have, you know, some weird, you know, social media post or no. something, you know, on your phone that these people were looking at. So what an amazing, uh, what an amazing experience. And you, uh, you know, crisis averted. You got to, you found the trophy and and, and uh, everything proceeded. Uh, one other lesson that you've got mentioned uh, that you sent to me was uh, about dressing according to the occasion. And so uh, I want to ask you about that. Uh, and you have suit and tie at 40 degrees Celsius, which is uh, for our American listeners, that's about 104 degrees Fahrenheit. So so uh, that's a that's that's hot weather to be wearing a suit and a tie. So why don't you tell us the story behind this lesson? Yeah, that was um, also back in in the years. Um, I was in Goiânia. Goiânia is near Brasilia, the capital of Brazil, so very hot uh, area. And we had a meeting with a very high level. Uh, politician, so we dress suit and tie. Um, but we also had to inspect the stadium. There would be a match uh, Brazil-Netherlands, also in preparation for the World Cup, so it was a high-profile match. Uh, and we were there with the state secretary looking at the stadiums and talking. And at one moment, he looked to us, can I remove my tie? He said, I'm only wearing a tie because you guys are here. And I said, we are only wearing a tie because you are here. So let's remove this. <laughs> and it was funny. It was just, just, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a lesson, but it, it was just funny. We laughed and then we sit for lunch and we had drinks on a way more relaxed way. But just the expectations of, of both sides, um, it was interesting. Wow. Well, gosh, you've got so many stories. You mentioned now that uh, uh, you've got uh, 2026 uh, World Cup is happening here in North America. You're actively working on that, the preparations for that. Um, and I know that uh, 
you know, cities are looking into the possibility of hosting uh, women's uh, World Cup in 2027. I see Brazil has, uh, you know, you know, submitted their uh, candidature, their interest, and and so it sounds like you're really, really busy. So, you know, what is your you know, aside from those things, are you working on anything else specifically at the moment or are those consuming all of your time? Oh, yes. I think, uh, I mean, it's it's been an amazing experience uh, to grow, to go across North America, um, not only the U.S., but Mexico and Canada to see um, the infrastructure, uh, people, and some of the best stations in the world. It's super interesting. Uh, but it's super challenging. Uh, we are coming from eight stadiums in Qatar to 16 in the next World Cup. Uh, so it has been an amazing experience to go through North America and see the stadiums in Canada, in the US and Mexico, so different realities, but some of the most impressive stadiums in the world, uh, like probably the most modern one, SoFi, and the most historical one, Azteca, which for me, it's just amazing to, to be there every time. Uh, it's going to be the only stadium hosting three FIFA World Cups. So the history in that stadium is something else. Uh, and coming from a World Cup with eight stadiums in Qatar and now going for 16, it simply doubles uh, the amount of work then to know every single stage and, and plan every single entrance so this is going to be spectators media uh, broadcast and the teams and every single flow staircase elevator it's been it's been a challenge but um, i'm happy to have this opportunity um and, and to learn, I think the challenge we, we have is in transforming the NFL stadiums into football, soccer stadiums and, and merge their knowledge, fantastic entertainment, uh, great operations um, with some football rules and some protocols that we do have. But so far, uh, it's been great. You know, one of the things that you mentioned, uh, Tiago, in, in our back and forth communication before this interview, uh, after, you know, or I think at the time you were in the middle of this exhausting tour of all the facilities over here <laughs> on this side of the pond, as we say, uh, and the challenge of finding uh, people to do this work, you know, and, and that being said, I mean, there are people who want to get involved in this industry because it is a very interesting uh, industry. Uh, it, it does require a lot of people and um, and you have to be really dedicated to it. But I'm curious from your perspective, now having been in this industry for more than 20 years, you know, aside from all these lessons learned and stories that you've told today, you know, what advice would you give to someone who is just starting out in this business or is thinking about potentially pursuing a career in major mm -hmm. events, you know, what, what advice uh, or lessons would you share with them? Yeah. Um, first of all, I think it's not 
so easy and so beautiful as it seems right it seems super glamorous super nice but it requires a lot it requires a lot of dedication uh, a lot of weekends a lot of nights because when everybody's having fun watching a game there is a bunch of people working who cannot be watching the game cannot be with their families cannot go out to to a bar or restaurant to enjoy right so i think this is the first thing to to think about it uh, yes it's it's great uh, i like i enjoy but it's not uh, that straightforward as many people think uh, and secondly um, you need to be prepared for that it's not that ah, okay i like sports i'm gonna work with that you need to know uh, the business. What what are your goods on on a sport event? Are you good in transportation? Are you good in catering? Are you good on broadcast? Are you good in media operations or competition operations? So what is your your background? What do you know? Uh, I'm a fan, but I so it's not not so easy. You gotta be prepared. Uh, you gotta study. Yes, it's not so easy. Uh, to find good courses because it's a new industry it's not something I want to be a lawyer or a doctor which are professions that are there for years and centuries uh, it's a new industry so I would say try to study try to be prepared and start from the lowest don't try to go into the World Cup or to the Olympic Games, or to NFL right at the beginning. It doesn't work like that. Right? People need to start to grow and get knowledge, get experience uh, to be reaching uh, higher steps. Well, I think that's fantastic advice. You know, I was thinking as you were talking about uh, this and sharing this, you know, I was thinking exactly what you said. The industry is not that old as as compared to some other industries. Uh, and so that presents some challenges, but it also, I think, presents some opportunities, opportunities mm -hmm. for more innovation, for creative thinking. And uh, if you are a person that is someone who who enjoys solving problems and, you know, seeing a situation and saying, hey, you know, maybe we, this, this could be done uh, in a different way, you know, those, uh, those kinds of opinions I think are welcome in this industry because it is still pretty new. And uh, I think there are opportunities to, to innovate in the future. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Tiago, um, thank you for spending an hour with me today. Uh, yeah, I'll let you go and I'll let the lights rest. <laughs> so, you know, we won't be taking up too much uh, energy and, and impacting the climate so much on this conversation. But uh, before we leave, I do have to ask, you know, in the work that you're doing with FIFA and, and other, you know, in all the various events and, and things in, in FIFA, if people want to learn more about the work that you're doing or they want to connect with you, you know, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, no, I think LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the the best way. Uh, if I might take some time to reply, I apologize in advance because uh, sometimes it gets a lot. Especially recently, we published few positions, so a lot of people coming. So I always um, try to reply everyone. 
but it may take um, some time. But yes, LinkedIn, uh, feel free. I'm happy to to receive connections and messages. All right, fantastic. So look up Tiago on LinkedIn. Uh, he's a he's a great great guy and uh, super easy to get along with. And and I I think back to our times uh, back in Pan American Games in the Rio 2016 bid. I, I look back at those uh, experiences with the. Uh, with a lot of good positive memories um they were very challenging but at the same time it was uh it was a really positive experience primarily because of the relationships and people that i got to work with people like you so Tiago, again thank you so much and listeners and viewers who have joined us for this conversation uh thank you and we ask you to please like and subscribe to our podcast we'll catch you again soon Tiago, thank you no thank you i think this hour was just too fast it would be great to continue, but I appreciate uh, the opportunity and the, uh, the time to talk to you. Really, really great. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Likewise.